Thanks, Harvey. When I heard your introduction of Ed uh, last week, I was hoping you were going to introduce me. And, uh, uh, Ed's introduction was a little bit funnier, I think, though. Uh, and I also was hoping that you wouldn't just introduce me, but you would explain me and give a summary of what I was going to say uh, here that would uh, make it much more fun for all of us, including me. So uh, uh, here I am. Yes, I did teach um, at UBC for some 40 years and uh, well after official retirement. Uh, indeed, it's only in the last two years that I've uh, uh, stopped formal teaching, but I'm still doing my history uh, work and writing and publishing. And uh, for the last uh, two decades, really, I've been working on uh, the topic of religion and politics and jurisprudence uh, law in Canada since the Second World War. And as you know, I've, if you have come to uh, uh, past um, learning ex exchanges that I've given, um, I, uh, I address several of the subsets within this larger topic that I'm working on. But that's what I'm going to be talking about today, and particularly the Trinity, Trinity Western uh, University Law Faculty case. Now, I could have talked about a lot from what's happened in the, in the, the past couple of months, and particularly the past few weeks, um, uh, in that uh, three major rulings have come either at the Supreme Court provincial status uh, or at uh, the level the, of the Supreme Court of Canada. I'm going to be speaking about uh, a couple of the other ones too. Um, uh, the ruling on Loyola High School in, Mont uh, in Montreal, and also the Supreme Court uh, ruling on the constitutionality of prayers before city council meetings in uh, Saguenay, Quebec, but which has uh, much uh, wider implications for the public fun functions, traditional functions of religion um, in uh, Canada. So there was good news and bad news in these very high-level uh, uh, rulings, uh, in Canada, um, but I'm going to be speaking primarily about Trinity Western University uh, law faculty proposal and how it's been uh, treated uh, by the courts, um, and I'm going to be doing this in the context of my previous uh, uh, presentations uh, around these topics uh, to learners exchange, particularly uh, the changing nature of Canadian pluralism. I see this at the heart of all of these specifics and uh, many more. Now, I won't spend too much time re reviewing uh, my findings uh, uh, from last uh, two years of presentations uh, here, um, but let me just sum summarize this very quickly. I'll, I'll be referring to the screen, but I'll try to talk to you. Uh, I don't think I need to carry this around. <laughs> For a while. Um, uh, and I don't know if you can see this all that clearly at the back, but if you want copies of this, I can certainly uh, get them to you in electronic format or in, uh, in, in print format. But in, in my studies and publications, I would uh, summarize the, uh, the types of, of Canadian pluralism that we've seen. Uh, the old Christendom uh, model of uh, 
what we called often Christian pluralism, once the term pluralism began to be used in the post-World War II period, um, political and legal and religious leaders from the period from Confederation right up until the 1950s and 60s uh, typified Canada, either from Protestant or Catholic perspectives, as a Christian democracy. That was uh, emphasized very powerfully, uh, particularly in time of crisis and most notably in the time of war, Second, First, Second World War and the Cold War. This shifts slightly in the 1950s under Diefenbaker and then more so under Lester Pearson from a, a, a type of uh, Christian uh, and largely Protestant uh, condominium to a more uh, broadly conceived religious pluralism, which first was extended very intentionally in the 1950s and uh, then 1960 when uh, the so-called Canadian Bill of Rights or the Diefenbaker Bill of Rights was passed to include uh, the uh, Jewish communities uh, and leaders uh, in Canada. Nothing was to be put into the Canadian uh, Bill of Rights that would cause any offense uh, to particularly the uh, Jewish leadership, which meant that Christian distinctives were muted in favor of a more general approach to what was uh, the objective then was to ex- expand the purview of uh, human rights uh, through legislation at the federal level uh, in Canada. This uh, indeed was opened more under uh, Lester Pearson and the Liberals, and so particularly at the time of Expo uh, 67, when all the pavilions were being established uh, and all uh, the tourists were coming to see Canada on display in Montreal in 1967. How many made it to Montreal in 1967? A lot of of the room here was uh, there, very memorable. Well, anyway, uh, here you have, uh, again, intentionally manifest liberal pluralism, more open, more welcoming of all faith communities in Canada, several of which decided to establish pavilions uh, at Expo 67. And that... uh, was the model. Now, quickly through the 1960s, when the old social patterns of Christendom uh, came apart, challenged by new migration um, patterns and, and demography in Canada, declining church membership, uh, uh, declining status and functions for churches in Canada, the challenge of the Quiet Revolution, French Canadian nationalism, the civil rights, human rights revolution, particularly in the United States. Um, uh, the quiet revolution, I've not mentioned that, uh, the, the pill and the sexual revolution. Uh, the 1960s are a watershed uh, decade. Uh, we can say this historically, we can say this for the most of us personally, and in our faith communities uh, as well. This was where the old order really began dramatically uh, to come apart. Now, we get, I'll say a few uh, nice things about Pierre Trudeau. (laughs) He's always wonderful to talk about. Um, And he is indeed uh, uh, the philosopher prince of this era in Canadian history. 
Uh, first as justice minister, then as liberal prime minister as of 1968, with all of the Trudeau mania that went into the upcoming election then, he was the one who, more than anyone else in Canada, charted the path to a new liberal Canada, with bilingualism, biculturalism, and then multiculturalism, participatory democracy, and a new pluralism to address the multiple revolutionary challenges faced in Canada by the late 1960s. And finally, uh, uh, as the thing I, I uh, know and uh, understandably so he was most proud of, the uh, patriation of uh, the Canadian Constitution from where it resided in the British Parliament uh, to Canada with the inclusion of uh, the Canadian a charter of Rights and Freedoms, which was indeed the first part of the new Constitutional Act of 1982. Now, at the core of Trudeau's liberal agenda was the removal of religion and theology from Canadian law and public life. Canadian pluralism would be secularist. Religion could best be protected and exercised in the private sphere. Trudeau as Justice Minister instructed Parliament in 1967 on the cardinal themes of the new, the new jurisprudence and secularist uh, pluralism. Just let me go down here a bit now too. Now I quoted this uh, last uh, year when I was uh, uh, looking at uh, the uh, many features of uh, the human rights revolution in Canada and uh, the changing nature of Canadian pluralism. Here it is again, and I think it's worth uh, citing again, because this, if anything, summarizes the direction where Canada was going right up until the major decisions of the last uh, few months and last week. This does it. We are now living in a social climate in which people are beginning to realize, perhaps for the first time in the history of this country, that we are not entitled to impose the concepts which belong to a sacred society upon a civil or profane society. The concepts of the civil society in which we live are pluralistic. So he's using the term very intentionally. And I think this parliament, he's speaking before parliament, realizes that it would be a mistake for us to try to legislate into this society con concepts which belong to a theological or sacred uh, order. Well, when it came then to um, uh, the Canadian uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the tremendous debate that uh, surrounded uh, that key moment in Canadian uh, legal and political history, Trudeau at that time opposed any religious legitimator or referent in the preamble to the uh, Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, as he put it, and I always like to cite this one, this will be the only thing that people will remember from this lecture. When he was addressing the Liberal Caucus on this question, uh, this wasn't public, I got it from uh, Senator uh, David Smith, uh, who was uh, uh, the House leader under uh, Trudeau and um, managing uh, the brief on the Constitution in relations with Britain at the time. He told me uh, in... Uh, a wonderful interview and gave me all the documentation on this. But anyway, Trudeau said uh, that he didn't think, well, where's the exact site here? Uh, right at the top. He didn't think God gave a damn whether he was in the Constitution or not. Now that was Trudeau's way, his 
quipping, and everybody would remember these types of things. But behind this was uh, several things that I think are, are, are quite serious. Uh, uh, first, uh, his preference was reflecting uh, much European uh, and British and American jurisprudence of strict separation of church and state, and mindful of his, his own growing up in the Duplessis era of enforced Catholicism uh, through politics and law. He wanted the church out of uh, state uh, organization and that religion should not guide directly or be referred to in the passage uh, of law. Similarly, he believed the church would be much better protected if they didn't get themselves mixed up in the type of uh, public functions that uh, were normative in the uh, Quebec of Duplessis and the ultra-Catholic uh, culture of uh, that time. Um, so there it is. Uh, he said that, and this, uh, those are the kinds of things more broadly uh, that he met. But nevertheless, given the uh, very impressive mobilization across Canada, led primarily by evangelical Protestants, um, including the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, and particularly uh, seven, with 700 Huntley Street and David Mainz, but also working with many of the Catholic leaders. This was the first time, I think, in uh, Canadian history where Catholics and Evangelical Protestants saw a natural convergence rather than the battles they had often fought uh, in the past. Uh, Trudeau then uh, saw the writing on the wall here, as it were, uh, the political support for putting a religious referent in the preamble to uh, the Charter of Rights uh, and Freedom of 1982. So what we got was, whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God, and the rule of law, and then it went on uh, from the preamble to list uh, the uh, foundational civil rights, human rights and liberties uh, uh, in, uh, that are there in uh, uh, the Charter. Well, Trudeau didn't get his way with what he really wanted in all of this, but in many ways we've been living in the age of Trudeau since the 1960s. Uh, he truly was a philosopher king. Uh, in that sense of the term. Whatever uh, criticisms uh, many of us had, have made uh, of uh, Trudeau, there's no denying the power and, and brilliance uh, uh, and intentionality determine, determination of uh, his style of leadership for good or for ill. We are living in the age of Trudeau. Two distinct visions of pluralism have struggled for uh, primacy in Canadian jurisprudence through uh, the succeeding uh, uh, decades. An open liberal pluralism which welcomes or at least permits religious participation in public life. And by contrast, an exclusionary secularist pluralism which assigns religion to the private sphere. Um, so, there's been lots of case law in recent decades and all of this, uh, as I have been reading it increasingly over the last years. And then again, uh, uh, in preparation for today, I must say I am in 
really impressed with the level of logic, rationality, clarity, and often uh, goodwill that come from uh, the courts, which contrasts in many ways with many of the lobbies who are at each other's throats and contrasts often with what happens in Parliament um, as well. But uh, lawyers don't always get it right, as we're going to see (laughs) a little bit uh, further on here. Um, so as these, uh, as the jurisprudence has evolved and case law has uh, evolved over the last few decades, there's increasingly a focus centered on contests between religious freedom rights of individuals and their religious communities, and on the other hand, equality rights claiming charter protections against uh, discrimination. Now, there's a, a very fine book on all of this. You might want to note this. It's really just out by uh, Janet F. Buckingham, um, uh, Fighting Over God, A Legal and Political History of, of Religious Freedom in Canada, published in 2014, but actually it's only out in, in the market uh, as of the beginning of 2015. Now, she heads uh, the Laurier uh, Institute uh, in uh, in uh, Ottawa. Previously, she was legal counsel for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. She is very good, very bright, and very articulate, and this is a a very important book that addresses in in much greater depth than I can do uh, today the questions of how religious freedom has been adjudicated in Canada and what the prospects are and how it can best be protected. It's a historical treatment, but it certainly has its interpretive aspects at at the heart of it all. Uh, Okay, we come now to uh, uh, Trinity Western uh, University. Um, And I'm sure most of you are familiar with this University, which has a history of, of 62 years, I think. No, was it? No, it was founded in 1962 as a college, and uh, then was granted university status uh, later on by the BC government. Uh, it has now about 4,000 or so students. It is a superb college. Everybody, secular, hostile, or supportive, uh, agrees that it has excellent faculty, resources, support, and uh, programs. Um, and students particularly. The quality of graduates coming out of their programs is uh, right at the top of uh, uh, student uh, accomplishment uh, in Canada. There's no doubt about that. This is not a a, a highly sectarian, isolated, rural, uh, backward uh, type of religious institution. It is a principal and superb institution. Um, Now, uh, they can, everybody can agree on that. And so the hope was that Trinity Western, uh, uh, in the summer of uh, 2012, they began um, uh, uh, to present a proposal to establish a faith-based law school. Uh, they had to go to the BC Minister of Advanced Education. They got his support. Later on, uh, alas, he withdrew the support for interesting reasons, um, but also they got the support of the Federation of Law Societies of Canada, um, uh, granting the necessary permissions and accreditation, um, 
Now, that is how uh, the uh, provincial law societies of Canada or bar associations or barristers societies or, or uh, benchers, all these names are there to confuse us all, but uh, uh, the uh, law societies across Canada at provincial levels, rather than doing uh, accreditation on each case themselves, they of course want to know what's happening in their own provinces, but they uh, generally and fairly recently have handed uh, this uh, uh, accreditation process over to the Federation of Law Societies of Canada. So uh, uh, there was nothing that the Federation uh, could see that, uh, you know, that made it problematic to grant uh, the necessary permissions for this law society uh, to function on the merits of Trinity Western's case, quality of students, faculty, curriculum, resources, distinctions of their program and mission. The Trinity passed all the hurdles. <coughs> this was despite uh, the university's transparency about their confessional nature and their community covenant, which all students are required to sign to be admitted to studies. Uh, the covenant does not require students to agree to a uh, religious or theologically grounded uh, statement of faith or code of faith. This is uh, this community uh, covenant is uh, a code of conduct of behavior, and that's a very very important uh, uh, distinction. Um, okay, it, it pledges students have to pledge to behave according to specific norms which reflect the confessional basis of the university. Most of these behavioral norms are pretty standard, both positively and prescriptively. Um, acceptance of the divinely inspired Bible as a guide to holy life, modeling one's life on the example of Jesus, and more specifically, now here we get into uh, the key uh, citation of this uh, covenant. Again, uh, most of... Let's not lose this now. Most of this... Uh, uh, I hope we could all try to qualify if we wanted to be students at Trinity Western University. You know, cultivate Christian virtues such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, compassion, humility, forgiveness. Okay, and most of these uh, reflect uh, the more general things that uh, certainly evangelical Christians are happy to uh, subscribe uh, to. But then it went on, and this is where we got into a lot of trouble. In keeping with biblical and uh, the university ideals, community members voluntarily abstain from the following actions. Now remember, they would have to sign on in a pledge uh, to this, even though it was voluntary. If they volunteered not to do it, well, they couldn't uh, then uh, become students at Trinity Western University, of course. The choice is theirs. They can go to some other university. Um, okay, so again, most of these aren't all that bad, and I hope we could all <laughs> subscribe to these. Uh, uh, maybe St. Peter will have this list uh, at the pearly gates. Who knows? Uh, um, but uh, most of this was acceptable also to, uh, of course, it all was acceptable to the Federation of Law Societies of Canada, but many secular um, uh, or minimally religiously engaged uh, lawyers and uh, the leadership were uh, not, uh, 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 you know, absolutely offended by these types of uh, Christian 
behavioral standards, except for this one here. Okay, sexual intimacy that violates the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman. Well, that was uh, the thing that caused the explosion. This, of course, is uh, reflective of the change of law on marriage in Canada at the federal level with the Civil Civil Marriage uh, Act uh, 2005, I think it was, uh, which is, you know, it's a revolution of the the common uh, common law standards and of traditional historic standards for defining marriage. Uh, Marriage as distinct from partnerships or civil unions, uh, whatever one could have called it, uh, uh, the Liberal Party under Chrétien and then Paul Martin, who passed this, insisted that no, the term marriage must be in this to grant total equality for those that want to go down uh, this route uh, in their, their lives. Well, putting this barrier up was what then uh, caused a tremendous explosion. Uh, as I say here, uh, impassioned objections from the LGBT community and uh, their supporters, including human rights commissions. The Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission ruled that this was discriminatory. Other lobbyists, progressive academics, uh, which means like uh, 100% of them, (laughs) especially within gender and women's studies departments. There were two powerful submissions out of uh, uh, one UBC, other Simon Fraser from uh, uh, leading um, uh, gender and uh, women's studies department uh, people. Um, uh, so the argument here is that an institution such as Trinity Western uh, University and its proposed law school would promote unlawful and damaging discrimination against the LGBT community especially for those who were in same-sex marriages. And a big uh, kerfluffle was made that uh, those that came to uh, Trinity Western uh, University that were in uh, uh, this type of civil marriage then would be explicitly um, discriminated against in terms of their sexual intimacy. Of course, would they ever choose to go to uh, Trinity Western University? Would they choose to sign on to the covenant? Well, that was uh, looking for straws, as it were, but uh, that was the principle that was being put uh, um, forward. And although the Federation of Law Societies, well, you can see, soon the lawyers and their bar associations took notice. And uh, then although the Federation of Law Societies had affirmed uh, the application, and although the executive of the Law Society of British Columbia had done the same, uh, several of the provincial law societies now had second thoughts and held special meetings, uh, a broader membership uh, polling them and organizing uh, general meetings, and votes uh, were held that resolved in several instances, to withhold recognition of graduates, typo there, of Trinity Western University's law school, unless the community covenant was made voluntary or removed or amended uh, to remove the objectionable uh, items, which in particular the one I pointed out. Now, this reaction came as a shock uh, to uh, 
uh, Trinity's leaders who had carefully played by the rules, counted on the legal ruling by the Supreme Court of Canada uh, in the uh, matter of uh, the university and the BC College of Teachers in 2001, when the College of Teachers attempted to proscribe the program on uh, the same type of, of, of grounds. The court, uh, Supreme Court of Canada, had ruled that the teachers' college's attempt to deny accreditation to graduates of Trinity Western uh, University's education faculty was itself unlawful on several grounds, notably the right to freedom of religion, uh, spelled out in Section 2 of the Charter of Rights, in the absence of any evidence that Trinity Western's students were prone to illegal discriminatory behavior or unprofessional uh, behavior as uh, uh, teaching in uh, the public uh, schools. So that uh, was a very, very important uh, um, ruling by the Supreme Court, and Trinity Western, of course, uh, could, thought they could count on all of that. Well, it turns then, and we're going to have to speed up here to Nova Scotia, where uh, the the battle has its first round, and we're just finished through that round, uh, basically. Um, uh, Trinity uh, Western had appealed for judici judicial review of the regulations passed by the Nova Scotia, Scotia Bar Barristers Society, which denied recognition of... Uh, uh, in the province of graduates of this proposed law school, unless the community covenant was made voluntary or amended uh, to remove its illegal discriminatory pledges, as uh, they, saw, uh, they saw it, which cultivated uh, homophobia. Of course, this word will uh, be central uh, to the charges uh, regarding uh, discrimination. Now, homophobia was used by, that term was used by uh, the Council for the Barristers uh, Society. The principal arguments uh, of the society and other critics were that uh, Trinity's covenant fostered discrimination prohibited by Sexual 15 of the Charter of Rights, the Equality Section, that the Supreme Court ruling of 2001 on the Teachers College no longer served as a guiding precedent as Canadian laws had moved on, the Civil Marriage Act of 2005, and Canadian society had evolved, and that law societies had the responsibility to serve as guardians against discrimination within their own profession and more broadly in Canadian society, and that to permit the operation of Trinity Western's Law School would send the wrong signal to the LGBT community and to Canadians generally, especially since Trinity Western sought accreditation from a governmental or quasi-governmental regulatory institution or institutions as in the case of um, the uh, Federation of Law Societies uh, of Canada. Okay. Uh, again, more generally, the argument was uh, that in these governmental or quasi-government regulatory institutions, secularist principles demanded strict neutrality, not any affirmation of uh, religion in its belief or uh, behavior. Um, the recommended sanctions would mean that Trinity Western University law graduates would face a bleak future for employment prospects if the prescriptions that were passed uh, in Nova Scotia 
Ontario and BC. I think those are the three principal ones. Uh, I think they uh, were recognized uh, uh, and affirmed by Alberta, Manitoba, uh, and New Brunswick. New Brunswick was a squeaker. It was a vote of 12 <laughs> and 12, of which the chair uh, broke to extend uh, uh, recognition then. Uh, well, the hearings of, on judicial review resulted, uh, uh, were, took place in December that recently, uh, sorry, that should be December 1914, where the appellants, respondents, interveners, and many interested groups and individuals were granted leave to make submissions and address the court, Supreme Court of uh, Nova Scotia, with Justice uh, Jamie Campbell as the judge. His ruling was published the 28th of January, 2015. And here I go on to cite his major points. Now, this is legal, dense, but in many ways, beautiful language. It's clear, it's resolute, it's determined, it is thoroughly grounded. Uh, I mean, I'm very positive on this. I was surprised that this was going to come out. I was thinking the worst was going to happen and that uh, Trinity would be effectively uh, you know, suppressed in, in its hopes to establish uh, its uh, law school. Well, what you have here, I think there's about I think there's about 18 or so paragraphs that are summation uh, paragraphs, um, but it is to summarize the summary, and I can't do it justice in the time I've got here, but it is a, uh, an affirmation of uh, almost everything that uh, Trinity Western uh, and its uh, interveners, supportive interveners, argued uh, on the basis of uh, the charter, uh, the religious freedom rights, and precedent law, particularly uh, the Supreme Court ruling regarding the uh, BC uh, Teachers College. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting, as I went through uh, its uh, 30,000 words plus, uh, not to mention all the uh, submissions and hearings that you can watch on video if you want. This is a big and important, well-recorded case. Um, the way that uh, Justice Campbell uh, uh, proceeds is to give a very fair shape to the arguments uh, from the Nova Scotia Barrister Society and their interveners, and particularly from uh, the uh, gender studies and women's studies programs from UBC and, uh, and Simon Fraser, uh, absolutely fair and and detailed coverage from these. Um, he hardly ever mentions uh, specifically the uh, 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 arguments put into um, the uh, Trinity Western University Council's brief, uh, nor the briefs put in by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. Nevertheless, Although this is a bit of an imbalance, I think, he wants to make sure he's got his back covered. I mean, Jamie Campbell, from what I can understand, is no uh, evangelical Christian. He is a true liberal, and thank God for that, in the way he's treated this uh, case. Um, but he's accepted virtually all of the arguments, constitutional arguments, and precedent arguments, case law, 
that uh, were included in the principal uh, briefs and intervention uh, briefs uh, uh, that supported uh, uh, Trinity Western University's religious freedom uh, rights. So uh, I could read several of these. The language is wonderful. And the language has a subtext of a type of bitter, uh, if ironic, and witty sarcasm about the quality of the Nova Scotia Bar Association's submissions. The two principal things are, I'm going to just leave it to you if you want to read this. I love reading this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Not the same after I do it, though. Uh, (laughs) The principal argument is they did not have the authority under the provincial legal... uh, It's... There's Legal Profession Act here. They did not have due authority to do what they did in terms of attempting uh, to prescribe uh, a law faculties and its program in another province. Okay, that was the first thing. And as the Attorney General argued, the barristers or law societies do not have the legal authority to recognize or not recognize uh, faculties on grounds other than uh, the traditional ones of academic uh, uh, excellence and uh, faculty and resources and uh, all the rest of it. So he hammered them there on, on the, the fact they were ultra vires on this. That's the legal word. They were beyond their authority. They couldn't do this. But then he went on to say, even if they couldn't do it legally, I'm going to assume that they could and tell you why uh, even if they had the authority, they got it all wrong in terms of protecting uh, uh, the charter freedoms uh, of all concerned uh, in uh, this particular issue. And here are his principal arguments. I'm just going to try and uh, pull them out of my head. And that is, um, they derive, uh, when you're faced with um, specific uh, violations of charter freedoms, and of course, uh, uh, Trinity Western is arguing that their religious liberty, foundational um, rights and freedoms are being uh, uh, attacked by uh, the Nova Scotia Barristers Association. On the other, another of the foundational freedoms in uh, section uh, 15, equality rights, that they are being, those that of course are within the LGBT community are being discriminated against illegally by the proscriptions or the code that uh, Trinity Western University has put forward. Now, as Justice uh, Campbell points out, rights in the Charter are not absolute. Um, uh, And rights often are in conflict. So what do you do when they're in conflict? Well, uh, the the Nova Scotia barristers... essentially want to establish a hierarchy of rights uh, supported by all the LGBT uh, community, or much of it anyway, and all of this, so that equality rights would trump religious freedom rights. And uh, Justice Campbell says, no, we don't do that. The law doesn't do that in Canada. The Supreme Court has refused to go down that path. When you have rights in conflict, and when there is some public interest in constraining or limiting 
uh, do right. This is spelled out in section one of uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. There are procedures and processes and precedents that are in place, and they go back primarily to what's called the Oaks uh, Test that was put up in the mid-1980s. I won't go into all the details of that, but it includes, there has to be something really substantial in public interest to constrain or limit fundamental rights. The case has to be made that uh, uh, there's going to be major consequences and suffering and violation of rights. Uh, The limitation of rights has to be put specifically into law or regulations. Um, A rational uh, case has to be argued uh, in order to support this constraint on fundamental freedoms, i.e. religious freedoms. Um, The penalties put forward have to be proportional to the uh, um, violation of rights that's uh, being argued. There's a a whole list of these things that uh, make an awful lot of sense as as they've evolved over time since the Charter came into effect. And in each case, he argues the uh, uh, regulation from the Barristers Association fails to meet these established tests. And so he rules. Let's just go down to the end. I would have loved to have read some of these. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's the last two ones. Uh, The the Nova Scotia Barrister Society refuses uh, Trinity Western Law Degree and puts that obstacle before the individual grad graduate, even though he or she may not agree with the university's policies, and even may be a member of the LGBT community. It's possible that is happening now. Yet, quite properly, it does not prevent lawyers from practicing law who may agree with the religious tenets that underlie Trinity Western's policy, uh, i.e. lawyers practicing already, and lots of them in Nova Scotia, or who belong to religious or private organizations that espouse those moral positions and impose similar restrictions on their members. Any rational distinction in principle between those lawyers and a Trinity graduate would have to be very finely drawn. That's, he loves those <laughs> kinds of witty, witty stains. The value of the statement of principle made by refusing to recognize Trinity law degrees is not proportional to the direct and substantial impact on freedom of religion. And that's part of the Oaks uh, test then. Um, the Barristers Association acted unreasonably by failing to properly or adequate con- adequately consider charter rights in making the decision to refuse Trinity Western University's law degrees and in passing the regulation that put that resolution into effect. Okay, so that's uh, what came out of uh, the January uh, 2015 ruling. What can we say about all of this now? Uh, I'll just say a few things, and then I... How are we doing for time? Uh, what, how long do we have? Okay, well, okay. Just a few things here, and then we can get into some uh, discussion on all of this. Hey, I've been handling this technology fairly well. Um, Okay, it's a strong affirmation of Trinity Western University's religious freedom rights in seeking to establish law school. That's obvious. It is a stinging indictment of the Barrister Society in acting beyond the authority 
uh, uh, they're granted in the Legal Profession Act and its failure even to attempt to balance charter rights to freedom of religion and conscience and association with equality rights while inflicting non-proportional penalties on the university unless it's changed its ways. More broadly, the willingness of lawyers to jump on the LGTB bandwagon and preemptively suppress Trinity's law school is pretty shocking. This I find pretty shocking. Nevertheless, uh, having been knocked over by Jamie Campbell, the Barrister's Society, that should be the Nova Scotia Barrister's Society, has sought to leave appeal to the Campbell ruling. So this will probably go to the Supreme Court of Canada. I don't know where else it can go to in Nova Scotia because it was the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia and I don't think there's anything above that. Maybe some of the lawyers uh, will know that here. So I, I presume if the Supreme Court of Canada will accept it, as remember they didn't accept uh, uh, our uh, attempt to take it to that level when we were in battle with the diocese here over uh, the property at uh, Shaughnessy, um, uh, the Shaughnessy Church. Uh, okay, nearly all of the arguments made by the brief submitted to uh, uh, submitted by Trinity Council are affirmed in the ruling. What is equally impressive is the scope and quality of the intervening groups. Whoa. This I found very, very uh, important too that the religious communities in Canada and not least uh, the evangelical Protestant uh, uh, religious community and uh, the Catholics, often working together now, are up to speed on these questions. The briefs put in by uh, the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms, uh, the Association for Reform Political Action, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada and Christian Higher Education in Canada, the Catholic Civil Rights League, and the Faith and Freedom Alliance, the Christian Legal Fellowship, the Canadian Council of Christian Charities, uh, not to mention the support we got from the BC uh, Civil Liberties Association on this. Thank God for them on this anyway. So the ruling is cause for celebration on the part of faith communities in Canada that the judiciary will rule to protect all the rights of the Charter, including religious freedom rights. Rights can obviously be in conflict, but when they are, courts and judges eschew the creation of hierarchies. Rather, the search is for balance between and among rights, reasonable accommodation, and the rule of law, as distinct from the rule of special lobbies, media noise, and political correctness. Uh, Jamie Campbell uses uh, those, uh, some of those terms anyway. Uh, okay, I'm arguing that his ruling here reflects a truly a liberal pluralism in Canada, opposing any effort by government or quasi-government agencies to impose conformity on the religious conscience or belief systems of Canadians. Um, Again, underline this. The emphasis in the 2001 Teachers uh, College ruling from the Supreme Court of Canada that freedom of belief is much wider than the freedom of behavior. And uh, as the courts can deal only with behavior, not belief. Much to applaud in it. Similarly, the Supreme Court ruling on Loyola High School. Read that. I won't go into the details here, but... uh, 
very positive of, of the rights of Catholic institutions, educational institutions, to teach their worldview and ethics and sexuality from a distinctly Catholic uh, perspective, uh, while, of course, doing everything they can uh, to give uh, due uh, recognition to the ethics and religious culture that comes out of the Ministry of uh, Education, but not have to teach it without putting it in a Catholic context. However, the unanimous ruling of the Supreme Court of Canada just over a week ago uh, that the mayor of Saguenay could not recite a traditional Christian prayer before meetings of the municipal council, which they've been doing for decades and decades history. This perhaps signals more accurately, I think, the way Canadian pluralism and the public rule of religion are heading in Canada. The Supreme Court ruled that such public prayer conducted in a governmental context, and certainly on government property, violated the conscience of the non-religious and the principle of secularism and neutrality upheld by the state. So I put out the question, does this mean, as both our national newspapers have put out in headlines, the end of public prayer in Canada? What does it mean for the nature of Canadian pluralism uh, ahead. Big questions. And uh, as you can sense, I'm not too optimistic about what's going to happen here. Mm -hmm.